Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm Justin Poulin. Joining me, John Duke. Last week, the Celtics had one loss in Game 1 before John and I spoke to you all and did our analysis and predicted a bounce back in Game 2. By the time we closed out the post-game show after Game 2, well, it was ugly, and right off the bat, I, I called it, and I said, this series is over. Nobody loses two games at home and then bounces back. Well, guess what, folks? Thanks to an awesome game on Sunday evening into Sunday night, uh, the Celtics took two games on the road. So after losing two at home, they go on the road, they win two. And if you're listening to this show, I don't need to tell you how important that is. But I think it, depending on what metrics you were going with, the Celtics had something like a 10% chance of winning the series after losing the first two sets at home. Now I think they're up to a 70% chance of winning. And as Sean Grandy said at the end of the radio broadcast after Game 4's win against the Bulls, he said, Wednesday, the garden is going to be lit, and mm-hmm. you can count on it. Wouldn't it be crazy if the Celtics lost the first two? And again, I don't want to get out of, I don't want to get out of control here, John, because I know it's not going to be easy, but the Rondo injury is huge for this series. Wouldn't it be crazy if they lost the first two and then won four in a row and actually did Celtics in six? <laughs> That would be insane. That would be totally and positively nutso. But it's, it's, it's completely feasible. I mean, I said it tonight and you, you know, you kind of were right there with me as we were tweeting back and forth a little bit. Uh, I felt like that this series may have hinged on that mid to late third quarter, 63-63 and what's going to happen. Because the Bulls win that, pull that, pull ahead in that stretch. Really, Brad was emptying all the chambers he had in his guns. He is, he was using every possible, he was stretching the starters to late in the third quarter. He was doing, he was, he was, you know, lengthening rotation. He was doing everything he could to stay in that game because nothing was working. Foul trouble had crept in. And then he brought in Isaiah freaking Thomas. And dude went ham. He went ham all over the place. And, he made the Bulls look like spam, baby, because that was an amazing performance. And that stretch, that stretch from late third quarter, early fourth quarter, when they took that from a 63-63 game to a 10-point lead, that may, that may be, we may look back and say that was the, that was the moment the series changed. The series turned. And could I see the Celtics winning two games in a row? Definitely. I could absolutely see that. Well, they just did it. So you're, you're basically saying, could they do it at home? Go could they up do it again? Two, and they've already proven that they can win on the road in Chicago. And, and right. they have. And I know that stretch is very important to this series. But how about the shift to Gerald Green in the starting lineup? That is something that you go back to the preseason or towards the end of the preseason when they were looking at roster construction. There were many of us, and I think myself included, who thought maybe they'll just cut Gerald Green, not worry about the veterans in the postseason, <laughs> and try to keep R.J. 
Hunter. Remember that conversation? And I think my preference was that they cut R.J. Hunter, but I thought they might wind up getting rid of Gerald Green and just keeping their youth because you never knew if they would have a trade and you want to have that blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, Gerald has been a huge lift. And guess who did not play a single minute in the in the game four? Amir Johnson. Amir Johnson, who is essentially one of the top-rated defenders on this team. It's the reason he is out on the floor most games. So Brad was not shy about making the necessary adjustments. And I think it really can't be understated how much the Rondo injury has changed the complexion of this entire series because that little chip on his shoulder playing a former team in the Boston Celtics, it really can't be understated. It can't be understated. That I mean, <laughs> Rajon Rondo, first of all, let me just say this about Rondo. I mean, Rondo was playing through two games. He was playing what we all hoped Rajon Rondo would be playing in a, in, in a series the Celtics were involved in in 2017. Unfortunately, it, that was, you know, if we <laughs> were in the uh, the hot tub time machine of sorts, you know, we thought he'd be a Celtic. I think a lot of people would have thought, you know, he would have continued his career and it would have gone on. A lot of weird stuff has happened in between then and now. Uh, who knows? You know, there's a, the twists and turns. We've all talked about them. But but Rondo's injury, his ability not only to, to – to, to, well, there's a couple things. Rondo being Rondo. Rondo saying the bright lights, the big stage – I play at my highest capacity as a player. We've all seen that. And then the the second piece, which is doing being the missing piece that allows these largely isolate group of isolation players and shooters like Miritich to to allow all those pieces to work and to find the cutting. You know, Robin uh, Brook Lopez. Robin Lopez. I knew I was going to do that. That is, that's that's <laughs> that's an easy stuff. one that that plays everybody. Don't even sweat that. They look that different. One. They look completely different, right? You know. You oh, they do. Bob and oh yeah. You know, but but Rondo. I mean, here's but the thing is about Rondo. I mean, <laughs> look, we're apologists for Rondo. I'm kind of surprised, honestly. There've been so many people who are who are you know. Even now, they still haven't let go of all that. I mean, you remember, I remember you and I arguing about him. You came over on the side of Rondo. You, you know, you saw the greater good once he kind of built his career and did some good things. Early on, it was a little rocky. No, you know, I liked him at first. If you remember the very first preseason game where he got any kind of run, they inbounds the ball and he hits a game game uh game winning three point shot but he was sort of still in motion and you know it wasn't a set shot it wasn't a ray allen three pointer and he might have even have banked it in i can't remember but he hit that shot and i was all about him uh but i think i always said the shooting was killing them and the other thing with rondo that i think frustrated me at times well it didn't frustrate me but i just thought he needed to be more aggressive to the rim even if he wasn't going to dunk it i just felt like he needed to get inside and get some respect so that the, they wouldn't sag off of him as bad as they as bad as the defenders always have those were some frustrating points for me i mean those hands no wonder he couldn't shoot right i just can't do a nice little flick but yeah, I you know I I respect Rondo's game quite a lot, and his enigmatic personality is that the best way to say it is is definitely intriguing, and I don't 
think there'll be any struggle for the Bulls in picking up his contract this summer. I think they're they're going to be all in. You'd think they would be at this point. I mean, how well they played with him. The problem is, is they went through 82 games with him, and they couldn't get anything out of that. So, look, Rondo is what Rondo is, right? We're all familiar with it. I, I, I guess, I maybe they, I think they should give that a second, you know, look in my mind if they're if, what they're going to do. But who the hell knows what the Bulls are going to do? That's the that's the hard thing to to, to take a look back on it is which is. I don't know what direction they're headed in. You trade away, you know, McDermott to get and, and Taj Gibson to get back Cameron Payne, who you don't play at all at, at a time when you don't have any play, point guards to speak of. I mean, they run they run Grant out there. They run, uh, uh, you know, M- MCW. They, they finally got Isaiah Cannon out there, who has a pretty good game. Uh, you know, had you know was a real spark for the Bulls at times, and they didn't even play Payne like. You know, you gave up a lot of your 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 capital as a team for a guy who's not even in in the conversation. And, and meanwhile, there was points in time where Ronda was the fourth point guard on this team. I I just I don't know. Look, the Bulls are a mess. We know that. The Celtics, you know, entered this series thinking, well, you know, I think they thought, well, the Bulls are a mess. We're going to walk through this. But Rondo was the one to kind of elevate his game to meet up with where Butler and, and Wade somewhat were. And, and really those, that, those, that triumvirate, uh, you know, kind of bringing along, you know, Brooke Lopez, you know, helped them push through game one and two. But without that third leg of the stool, I don't think this this Bulls team has got enough to to make it to make it happen and to win you know two of the next three. No, I think you're right about that. I think a lot of people said whoever wins Game Four is going to take the series. A lot of people feel that way. I think you and I are starting to feel that way. What a crazy turnaround when you consider just the amount. And again, it wasn't negative like. Many people flameballing Danny Ainge and, and oh. saying Brad Stevens is on the hot seat. I wasn't out of control that way. As a matter of fact, I said I, I understand how he got here, but the teammates need to lift Isaiah up. They've got yeah. to start performing, and we did see a bench unit that got the job done in Game 2. Marcus Smart made many incredible plays down the stretch. I mean, you talked about Isaiah 63-63 in the third quarter, but they have allowed the Celtics starters to get rest. Brad gave them a long rest in the second quarter and really stepped it up, and that's what we needed to see. But what a big turnaround when you consider even justified unfortunate circumstances but the negativity around the Celtics' ability to take this series just a few short days ago. Um, I don't think anybody around Boston thought, yeah, this is going to be the series that the Celtics come back. But at the same time, as we closed out that postgame show, we said it really would be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? It would just be one heck of a story, and I think it might be. They've got a rallying cry. I don't know if you remember uh, the Patriots' first Super Bowl win, but there was somebody on their coaching staff that passed right at the beginning of, I think, the preseason, and they wound up using that as motivation and a rallying cry to, to go forth and win. And sometimes tragedies like these have a, a way of uh, 
putting things in perspective and, and I think almost in some way taking the pressure off and guys can just go out there and play. Gerald Green certainly seems to be playing pretty loose. We'll talk about him after this network identification. Make sure you're following Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. Uh, you can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. Follow John at CSL underscore Duke and the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. There's also a Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Download the CLNS CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android. All you have to do is go to your app marketplace and simply search CLNS Radio. And finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio with high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. So let's go to this hot chocolate crunky talking about Gerald Green and also solving some of the rebounding issues, John. I think that's one of the things, if you look at his line, 16 points, 7 rebounds in Game 4. I mean, obviously a offensive spark and a different look in Game 3. But in Game 4, also grabbing rebounds. And this team needed somebody to knock down big shots and hit the three-pointers. We know they live and die with their shooting. And they'd been a better shooting team this year than last year. But in games one and two, they looked an awful lot like last year's iteration. Terry Rozier giving them a little bit of a lift. Marcus Smart, Terry, but, but Terry and Green in game three knocking down shots was really a, a big difference maker. And then Gar- Green obviously carrying that over to this game. So, uh, yeah, he'd rather be crunk than not crunk enough. Right. I, which is really, I, I don't listen. There were a lot of going back to 2005, Justin and, and JB and, and myself, and we're talking about, you know, what do you call this? And we talked about changing the name of the show. And that was the second, we should, we should tell them right now, Justin, that was the second choice. Um, you know, that was the second, it was selling stuff live and then that. And I'm just disappointed we didn't go with the second choice, but, but Southern Stuff Live seemed to have worked. So I think that's a great motto for life right there. I think, I think Gerald really says it all. <laughs> says it for all of us, doesn't he? He does. You, you just, you gotta, he, he's, Justin. he is really such a breath of fresh air. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he is just a total breath of fresh air in the way that he is. I think, he stayed positive. It was nice to see Isaiah smiling again in game four, but I don't think we can underrate their friendship in this scenario. I mean, know Isaiah has been saying for a while now, according to, to Chris Forsberg, about the fact that they think that he thought that Gerald Green was going to win them a playoff game. That's pretty hefty words and lofty expectations when you consider the fact that he, uh, he really didn't play much during the regular season, and then all of a sudden he's ready to go. And he also dropped a, a Tony Allen quote from back in I think 2007. You know, you, you don't you be ready, so you don't have to get ready. He dropped that in the post game as well. I know he was up on the podium with Isaiah and Isaiah's boys. So I think Gerald Gerald has kind of brought this lighthearted kind of thing, and I I think it's great that Isaiah had. I know the team's come close, has gotten close, and I know the organization has supported him, but I think it's kind of cool that he has maybe somebody he's more of a buddy with, and I, I, I know he's been pretty close to Bradley, just, you know, both of them coming from the Northwest and whatnot, but 
seems like he's surrounded by some good people to kind of help him through this, but I think Gerald's just general attitude and all the players liking him, he's kind of this year's Evan Turner. You know, that's a, that's, boy, good, good one. That's a good, good, good pull there, you know, because he is that veteran presence who's been there, done that. And sometimes we forget how young this team is, particularly the bench. I mean, we look at the bench and we're like, why can't they adjust, you know, in the first couple of games? Dude, the, the, the lights are bright, right? And game one and two of the NBA playoffs, you know, you're, you're, you know, we're looking at Terry Rozier and, and he's a guy who, uh, I think we stand back and we say, oh, well, he's been there, done it. He did like four games. He played four games against, you know, the Hawks and all of a sudden, like, he's a seasoned professional. I mean, come on, you know, it's, it's smart, you know, I mean, he's had what a total of 10 playoff games and, and even then not, you know, a great deal of time, probably total. That, that makes a big difference. And so you need guys, those veteran guys who've been there, done it for the young guys to lean on. And so I think, you know, the further you get in, I think the more you're going to be able to see situations like Terry Rozier stepping up and, and Jalen Brown. I don't think, I don't think Jalen Brown's dead and buried. Uh, maybe not even I in this series. I just don't think this is his series, but I was saying during the game that I felt I like they should put Jalen out there and have him beat up Butler because Butler's tired. Butler is very was very tired. He was gassed. There's some comments that he has made post game after or game four, uh, basically saying, you know, Marcus Smart's not that tough. I don't think that's what he's about. Yada yada. Yeah. Listen, that was beautiful because in the, right, total whining. In the, but you know what? <laughs> when they first were up twenty and they mixed it up, it energized the Bulls. It looked like it was going to backfire on the Celtics. Yeah. But then when I saw Butler, I was like, how many minutes has he played? Oh, he's played almost the entire game, and he's played all of the second half to date, and now they're mixing it up and Smart's making plays. I was like, this would be a great stretch to tell Jalen, go out there, blanket him, and don't worry about fouls at all. As a matter of fact, go ahead and foul because he's gassed, and we want him more gassed and more frustrated so that he'll make emotional mistakes, make bad decisions, and basically break down down the stretch. And that's the only way you're going to get to a star like Butler. And it would be alleviated were he to have Rondo sort of dictating things and, and taking some of that pressure off. But it's not there. He's going to have to work on his own. I think Koiberg's going to have to play Butler 48 minutes, especially in Game 5. The dude is going to get gassed. I don't think he has it in him to carry the Bulls squad to wins. And But Hoiberg's going to have to rely on him to be out on the floor frequently. And so that's that's how I think Jalen could interject himself into this series. But I don't think I just don't think the matchups are in his favor. I think Gerald has kind of found his spot. I th- I think he's found his spot, but I think it, it, it kind of comes and goes. And here's the other thing that I think that this does is that you begin to see, you know I think let's let's talk about how desperate times were <laughs> as we were entering Friday's game. You know, there was a lot of people uh, who were on the ledges. The Tobin Bridge was full of people ready to jump, ready to, you know, you know, fire Danny Ainge. Brad Stevens isn't as good. You know, Fred Hoiberg has as many playoff wins as Brad Stevens and blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean (laughs) – now, how stupid does that all look here? You know, seventy-two hours. Uh, you know, ninety-six hours later. Yeah, but the thing but is, not as stupid as the Bulls 
whining, making excuses, and complaining. Hoiberg complaining about IT traveling. Butler making yeah, shots at Smart. No, I'm just saying this bodes well for the foolish. Celtics. It I does. It's foolish because it's they're showing their hand. They're showing their frustration. That's not good. Celtics lost two games. Did they point the finger at the Bulls? No, the fans did though. That, that's all my point. Is the fans I don't care about the, the fans fingers. in that case though. But well, I, yeah. and I know your point. But but my point is the fans get to be the fans. They pay the tickets. They watch the games. They're wrong. But that's what fans do. You know, play, play, I think the, you know, I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder on, on the commentary yeah. about the fans, cause it is a nice no, swing. I'm not going there though. <laughs> I'm not talking about the fans. What my point was is that things were really crappy on Friday. And we had a point where about two hours before tip off time, tweets are start going out saying, Oh, uh, yeah, Brad's going to start Gerald Green tonight. And people, the lines of people ready to jump were just enormous. And what does he do? He comes out there. He hits open shots. He spreads the floor. He opens things up for guys like Isaiah and really opens things up probably even more so for Al Horford. And it changes the course of the game, really changes the course of the series perhaps. Now, here's the thing that I was saying out of that. Now, maybe Gerald Green isn't isn't going to be the you know the next, you know, Superstar player. I don't think he's going to sign a, a a fifty million dollar a year contract here in Boston here, no matter what next year. But I know one guy that might, and it's going to be more like twenty five million or thirty million a year. And if you can visualize Gordon Hayward in that same spot where Gerald Green is, that things really change <laughs> the whole scope of of where that is. It's so insane. If nothing, if and nothing, that whole Horford and Crowder. At the four and five is beautiful. It does, yeah, it works. And I've it been works. calling for that forever. How long have I said that that's the that's the lineup? Put Jalen at the three and bump those guys up. I'm, and obviously Hayward would be a totally different look and way better. And we're seeing what what Gerald Green can do. And who knows? You know, maybe maybe when they match up against Washington, if they make it to the next round, and Washington is, I think Washington's going to be the one to go over Atlanta personally, but. If that's the matchup in round two and the Celtics get out of here, maybe the, maybe that lineup doesn't work as well. But how long have we been saying, you know, love Amir Johnson, but we really feel like Horford should play the center and Crowder should be the four. And then you have all that ability to switch and you don't have to get caught in mismatches as a result of those switches. Right. But they haven't been able to do that because they haven't had a guy playing the small forward position who they can rely upon. I think that's been the Yeah, issue. rookies make mistakes, no doubt. Rookies make mistakes. Joe Green can't defend a chair. Uh, you know, there's and, – and beyond that, we've talked about the smart thing. we talked about with Bradley. I mean, they're, they're just so small outside of, you know, basically Jalen and Jay. Who else are you going to play in that spot? Now in this game, you put you put a guy who's 6'8", who can come back to the ball and make an open shot – and then, wow, the floor is open. Wow, things have really changed around quite a bit here. You can't worry so much on the pick and roll and blitz the pick and, you know, really kind of sink into the paint because you do that, you're leaving that wide open jumper for, uh, for Gerald. And, and that's something the scale illustrated really well on the, on the TV, TV telecast. And that's the thing where, you know, you go to your meeting in July one with Gordon Hayward's guys and it's not like he doesn't know what Brad's doing, but he says, this is what we could do with Gerald Green. Think about what we could do with you. 
And that's the thing that stood out to me is I'm looking I'm like, you know what? Things are desperate, desperate times, desperate measures. You got to do whatever you can Friday afternoon to shake this thing up and open the floor up. And, you know, hey, it seems desperate at the time, but if nothing else, it shows that you can play a guy in that position of that size and do things and that it worked for this team is even bigger endorsement as they enter July 1 here in a few months, a couple months, and uh, start to look towards that, that next chapter. But in this chapter, boy, didn't it work out well. And that's where I think you're right. I mean, that that growth and that ability to come back and rebound, that you've made that point over and over again. The size is an issue. Having that guy of, of some legitimate small forward size in that position, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, and the ability to hit shots, and that's why Gerald Green has had such an impact. It's fine as long as you hit your shots that you're not a great rebounding team. The Warriors are not a great rebounding team, but one thing they are that the Celtics are not is a great shooting team. And so that's what Gerald's giving you, but he's not giving you the defense, to your point, that we would get a lot more from Hayward. Another thing you get from Hayward is playmaking. While Gerald is getting a lot of hustle plays out there, the one I'm thinking of is the missed three, and then he goes baseline, gets his own rebound, and just throws it down authoritatively. That was an excellent play, but you kind of get the Evan Turner and Gerald Green best abilities in both smushed into one young, you know, all-star player in Hayward and a guy who can knock down his shots. So if you're going to give up some rebounding, hey, no big deal. I'll take it for the shooting. I like the... I like the smaller lineups. I'm a big fan of them because I think they're fun to watch. Now, I don't know how you draft... Josh Jackson, have Jalen Brown on the squad and then sign Hayward and make it make sense, which means there is another trade coming. And I don't know if maybe there's too much bad blood already brewing in this Bulls Celtics series for Butler to see himself in green. You know, Al Horford came out on top in his matchup with the Celtics, but saw a gritty team on the rise and made his decision to come to town. Now, I know Butler would sort of have to be a little more resigned to a trade, but I don't think he has a no-trade clause. But I wonder how this series is changing the complexion of that because he definitely throw in some hefty words the way of, of Marcus Smart. The other thing I'll say about this turnaround, because we're about to go to break, but just, what, five days ago, we were looking at a 10% chance of the Celtics winning just this first round series. So odds were off. After game four, according to 538, the Celtics have a better chance of going to the finals than the Cleveland Cavaliers, who just swept. Now, it was a narrow win, but just swept their series against the Indiana Pacers. I think all four games decided by a total of 16 points. That's the least amount of points in a four-game series sweep in NBA history, which is a really cool statistic if you think about it. Nonetheless, the Cleveland just got done a sweep. The Celtics lost the first two games at home. And after game fours for both Cleveland and Boston, with Boston tied 2-2 two to two and Cleveland looking at second round, the Celtics have a 25% chance of reaching the finals, while the Cavaliers only have a 22% chance. That's insane, John. It is. I, I But I, I don't know. I mean, I've... <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't want to get political here, but the same type of 538s, 
uh, you know, projections and models. They didn't work so well for uh, a certain party in November either. So not this, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to go there, but you know, the, the modeling and all this, I mean, there's just so, there's a lot of human element brought into that. And, and look, I mean, if you look at a team with Cleveland's record and, and the way they've played and, and come into the playoffs, even, even the, the eye test tells you you should be skeptical of it. The only thing that makes you think at all is that this could happen is somebody who maybe saw, remembers the Houston Rockets in 95 or, uh, the Celtics in 2010. You know, the teams that were good, talented, beat up maybe in the middle of the, the regular season, but the numbers didn't reflect that. Still, it, it's, it's not a good sign if you're a Cleveland Cavalier fan, I suppose, but they just swept the, the Pacers. What do they care? They're feeling, they're feeling like, hey, we got plenty of time before we have to face the, the winner of the Raptors, uh, Bucks series, which, you know, maybe that's where things get really tough for, for Cleveland. Certainly they weren't getting pushed at all by Indiana. No, no, not at all. The Bucks though, Look at what they're doing. I know the Raptors did what they needed to do to get that series knotted up. But remember I said I thought that team was a little scary. And uh, they're coming on. Just wait till they get Parker back. That that could be the Celtics' fiercest competitor in the post-LeBron era for sure, which will be very, very interesting. I, I, I do think Cleveland is still struggling, though. I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that they're uh, at all totally recovered. And – I think Indiana was a flawed team. That's why we all wanted to face them probably as our primary matchup. Now what you, you yeah. said you that was who you wanted the Celtics to face in round one over any other club. That's right. Yeah, Indiana was the team I was hoping to face because I thought he, they have it's Jimmy and uh, excuse me, it's Paul George and there's little help other than that. Chicago you know, you have to be at least a little bit worried about what would happen with Rondo and, and Wade being someone who's been there, done that before. But those are the two teams far and away you wanted to play. And here we are, you know, and now it's tied up and it's a, it's the best of two. It's a three game series. It's like the old school NBA. We've gone back to the three game first round series. That's where we're at now for the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls. What a, what a great game. What a, what a ton of fun. We're going to be back in just a couple of minutes, but first we're going to tell you about Blue Apron and Seat Geek, two of our staple sponsors of Celtic Stuff Live. Pretty excited to continue having them uh, sponsoring the show through the playoffs. And, uh, I do subscribe to Blue Apron. I've made many of their meals. They're delicious and I totally buy into their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. As a matter of fact, ours just came yesterday, so I'm looking forward to the three meals we're going to be cooking this week. They set highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And the best part is it's less than $10 a meal, and with that, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients so you can make delicious home-cooked meals and customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. There's no weekly commitment, and as a matter of fact, I was away visiting family in Maine last week, so we skipped a week of deliveries. It's super easy. You go to the website, you just click skip the meals, or maybe there's a couple of recipes that you're just like, eh, I don't know, and you want to skip a week. 
It's no problem. Again, no weekly commitments. Some upcoming meals are spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salada, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice, and Parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. That too. I know, that too. Well, you know, it just depends on what part of Italy. If you're from northern Italy, you know, then then you say it one way, right? I'm just... Americanized. Let's say that. Let's say that. We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping. That's a pretty awesome deal. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celtics. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Celtics to get your first three meals for free with free shipping. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And as the Celtics playoff push is really heating up, Total Turnaround, SeatGeek, is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game. And I know you want to be at Game 5 Wednesday night because the garden's going to be rocking. With the SeatGeek seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Best of all, it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. Marcus Smart will probably make a couple of those and get up in Jimmy Butler's mug Wednesday night so SeatGeek can get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices, find you amazing deals, and to get you the most bang for your buck by grading every ticket based on value so that you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And as I mentioned, the best part is every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. Here's the deal for you. As a listener of Celtic Stuff Live, you receive a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your $20 rebate on a ticket's Download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. You enter our promo code, CSL2017, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code CSL2017 to get your $20 rebate off your first purchase. All right, so I kind of rushed this topic a little bit earlier, John, with the whole getting under Hoiberg and Butler's skin and how they're cracking, and they're definitely losing their composure. I do feel like the Celtics have them right where they want them if we're seeing those kinds of comments. I mean, they even went to Avery Bradley after the game and and tried to bait him, I guess, maybe is the best way to say it. But what do you think about all the early foul calls that that Butler received? (laughs) You were in foul trouble, and Bradley just said, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to get fined. But then they go over to Hoiberg and Butler and start asking questions. And Hoiberg starts complaining about the fact that he's been telling the officials that he doesn't like that Isaiah's been getting away with carrying the ball through four games. We could definitely dissect that in the league. And LeBron carries the ball every freaking drive to the basket and has for years. There's nothing <laughs> Isaiah's doing that other players in the league haven't been doing forever. Uh, but that's one thing. But then also, Marcus Smart, again, could have gone the other way for the Celtics. It seemed to be a rallying cry for the Bulls. 
But ultimately down the stretch, I think Butler got tired. Smart got under his skin. Really bullied him a little bit. There was the was it the block in game three? Yeah, the block that was on Wade, I think, not Butler. But Smart's made some pretty big heady basketball plays, some momentum shifting plays. And for Wade to I mean for Butler to come out and kinda call Smart out the way he did tells you that the Celtics did frustrate him. And I'm not saying Jimmy didn't do what he needed to do down the stretch, but if you're already fatigued you're basically played every minute of a game. You're the focal point of the team's offense to carry them to victory. And you're frustrated by Marcus Smart. Edge Celtics. Edge Celtics. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the hard thing for, for the Bulls is that everything that they have now rests on Jimmy Butler's shoulders. And you could tell that the stress of not only not having, other than the, the first I should say the the second half of game one where he you know really had a nice second half and really took over things really didn't play well so well in game two not a good game in game three uh game four really you know you felt like okay he's coming in he's you know I gotta have a good game I gotta get things going and he was the only it wasn't as if he was he was forcing it but he was the only thing they had going and you know that it was it was effective as heck. I mean, the guy was he was unstoppable in large part. But you wear all that over and over and over again, and it's really hard. And not only that, not only does he have to wear the offense, but he's also defensively he's he has to play his his tail off defensively. So by doing that on both ends, I mean you, you never get a break. And then to play forty minutes. Now look, he, he's a he's he's a hard ass, right? I mean, he's there's a reason why that uh, you've got Thibodeau and, and and loves him, loves the guy. You know, he's he's a hard guy. He's a hard charging guy. He's gonna fight like hell. He's gonna work hard. He's gonna you know do everything that he's got to do. But the problem is, is that some sometimes guys like that have it can work against you too. I'm not saying it works against you to work hard, but sometimes that mentality there's a double edge to that sword. And I think tonight you see that where you know perhaps there wasn't as much left in the tank by the time you got to the fourth quarter he's got to carry this team single-handedly through the rest of this round Dwayne Wade is a shell of of the player he was at this point and so it's it's all on Jimmy He Buck missed another one at the rim in game 4 like that's oh, not a good look for him or it's a great look for him it's a great look for us. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a great look for us. You know, hey, before we close the chapter on Butler's comments, I guarantee you that Twitterverse and the media, they're running away with this one. This is going to be a hot topic between now and Wednesday. It's the thing that drama is made of. TNT loves to oh. put that out there before the game. Oh, we'll drama. be talking about it ad nauseum over the next couple of days. But, but yes, to your point, Wade is good for a couple of clutch shots, some sweet moves, but he's not capable of carrying a club anymore, which is why Rondo was so centric to their domination yep. of the Celtics because it took just enough attention off of Butler. And it's almost like the Lonzo, what you were hoping if you were going to draft Lonzo Ball, it's what you want to get is an enigmatic sort of player Obviously, Lonzo is a little bit taller and, you know, he can shoot the three even if he does have a funny shot. But the point being, 
there's just enough of that pressure that comes off. And even defensively, Rondo is probably having, you know, well, he's having postseason Rondo defensive ability. And now it's all on Butler's shoulders, and Wade is just not going to be able to do it consistently enough to carry an entire game. He can help, and he's still good for the, some of that stuff, but every once in a while, and if you asked him to carry the, the Bulls to victory in, in a game, he's going to come up putting the ball right at the rim and getting stuffed before he can get it out over the rim. It's just That's where he's at right now. And, yeah. and good on the Heat for moving on. We saw them with quite a bunch of characters. You know, Tyler Johnson had a nice season. Um, you'd see Dion Waiters trying to resurrect his career. But with that cast of characters, I see why people, you know, think that Eric should get, Eric Spolstra should get uh, Coach of the Year because that was quite a mishmash uh, and an injury-riddled squad that almost made the postseason, you know, or at least had an excellent second half of the year. They, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, 40 and I think they finished 40 and 11 or 30 and 11, I guess, to, to, to wrap up. I, you know, I, I, you know, I look at, at this, this whole season and how that basically how that all came down on the last day. You know, you had, you had Atlanta playing teams, you know, really the whole bottom half of the Eastern Conference was all a jumbled mess. And you could see very easily one or two trades could completely change the bottom four seeds. Uh, you know, of the Eastern Conference next, you know, next year, 18 in the Eastern Conference could look completely differently than it does right now. I don't sure you could say the same in the Western Conference. I think in the Eastern Conference, you have some, some high risers. You get some teams that are really much, pretty much hanging on by, you know, for dear life there at the bottom in, in Atlanta and Chicago. And then, you know, I, is Atlanta going to be much better next year? I mean, somehow they're, they're still hanging in here, you know, against the, the bullets. Excuse me, the Wizards, but they really should be the Bullets uh, once again. You know, you could see, you know, one trade could make a big difference. But you know, Miami is actually not only do they have cap space coming up this summer because you'll see Bosch's money come off the cap, but you, they've also got a nice young core around them. I mean, it's not that much different from where Boston is, except Boston's better. <laughs> That's you know, and oh by the way, you're going to get the number one, two, three, or four draft pick. That ain't bad either. So again. Boston here, Miami down there, but you gotta like where they're headed. Yeah, and you have to kind of see, like, it's pretty obvious why Miami was okay moving on from, uh, a face of the franchise for, you know, since forever. I mean, really, they, after the years of, of Shaq, uh, no, that was Orlando, um, uh, but. Yeah. Well, he was but, there. He was there too. He was there too. <laughs> He's been everywhere. He's man. been everywhere. He's been to Bangor, to Boston, all the way yeah, off. I, see, I was going to go to that. Johnny Cash, good for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been everywhere, man. So all I'll say is, our music on the show <laughs> goes from. There. I had to. Yeah. I had actually. I yeah. love that song, but now it's getting it's getting killed on, uh, getting killed on. Uh, for commercials, they're just destroying yeah. it. they're destroying yeah. it. But, uh, but anyway, I, I definitely digress. Um, what I think, I think at this point, you can see why they moved on. He's been the face of the franchise there, and they really didn't skip a beat when you consider where they were at last season versus this season. There's no drop off, and so I, as we look forward to the rest of this series, 
I, I just think it's too much on Jimmy Butler. And maybe that helps Jimmy be willing to, to be traded. Maybe, maybe that helps the Bulls organization look to trade, but it's gonna, for, for them, I see, I can see them. Remember, they were the laughing stock of our show at the beginning of the year. What are you gonna do with three, you know, ball dominant guards, shoot. wings, right, that can't shoot three pointers? So you look at their offseason, and I think if they win another game in this series, there's like this chance that the Bulls decide not to blow it up and roll it uh. out again. Oh, right? Yes. Because yeah. of the way Rondo played, there's a real chance of that. There's also a chance that Jimmy Butler is going to be so pissed by the end of this that, that he's not going to want to go to Boston, which I, I, you know, that's probably overplaying it, you know, a little bit. I get it. Yes. But, but the pieces may not fall into place for, Jimmy to be looking to make a move or being able to make a move and whether the Bulls organization. So here's what I'll say. If the Celtics blow out or dominate Wednesday's game five, I can totally see them going on the road and taking it. And if they take four games in a row against the Bulls with Rondo out, given Rondo's you know, where he's at in his career, his age, the personality dynamics, the organization's ability to take a look. Yes, I think the willingness to hit the reset button this off season may be pretty good. If they fight this to a game seven and it's hard fought and Hoiberg goes back to Garpax and says, look, I think I finally got things figured out with Rondo. It's too bad I didn't have a chance to show you. Then they re-sign him in the offseason, and this all plays out the same way again next year with a whole lot of teasing at the draft and at the trade deadline and Butler remaining in, in Chicago. God, that would be the weirdest thing ever. I mean, I, you know, I, I, as you know, I keep lamenting the fact that we keep these teams that have no business in winning. They, they don't have a chance. I mean, we know that there is no – future path for their success without, you know, we're talking about one out of a hundred type situations. And yet they keep running the same team out over year after year after year without any meaningful growth or development on that roster. And, I, and I'm looking at Chicago. I'm looking at Indiana. I'm, I was looking at Sacramento. Uh, you know, we're going to get to the point where New Orleans is in that same you know, boat you know, these teams where stars are there, and that's great, and they're good enough to be just good enough or maybe just bad enough to not uh, to, to not be in the playoffs or barely be in the playoffs. And, yeah, they'll give a good run, and, you know, they'll, they'll make people, you know, but and they'll sell a few tickets, but that's as far as it goes. Chicago, I mean, wouldn't that – if I were a Bulls fan, I mean, while I might love Jimmy Butler and love what he does, I got to think, is this all it is? I mean, is this all there is to being a Bulls fan is to hope you can get the eighth seed and, and give a little, you know, shot in the arm to the Celtics who, you know, everyone reminded us quite a bit late last week about whether the worst number one seed ever and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it seems to me that <laughs> if that's the case, then why the hell that wouldn't be enough to keep a team together or it shouldn't be. But maybe the, the Bulls aren't championship driven. Maybe not they just to want to sell tickets. Not to mention, in a loaded draft, they don't even have a lottery shot. Exactly. That's exactly right. So what are they playing for? Nobody knows. 
And that's the, to me, that would be the troubling thing. <laughs> nobody what the hell they playing knows. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows, <laughs> dude. <I> see. <laughs> see, nobody this knows is... my sorrow. <laughs> that is what it is to be a Bulls fan. And it's also, I feel bad for the listeners of the second half of the show because we've come off the rails the same way that Jimmy Butler did post-game, game four. It's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, but, but, but we're happier this time. Last time we were in the aftermath a mess for all the wrong reasons that's right pretty bad game one yeah so hey that's okay now we've got pretty bad game two i mean even that post game show is ugly oh that's right yes i forgot the post game show i was trying to forget the post game show it was miserable i literally kicked it off well you you couldn't get on and i literally kicked it off saying the series is over you know oh it was the whole doomsday thing i haven't lost i i'm usually you know Hope springs eternal with with Jughead. You know, I've always been right. the optimist, but I pretty much, you know, I, I, I hook, line, and sinker it on. Listen, the the timing of the events is is really rough, and it just doesn't look like the team's poised to rally. And then the next thing you know, Kevin Garnett puts out this crazy uh, video or whatever to uh, or through Kevin Eastman, the trainer, to the team. And Avery Bradley shows it to IT, and the next thing you know, they're playing it on a Beats pill and a cell phone in the uh, in the in the locker room before Game Three, and they're getting it done. Like, is there any reason you can't? There's no reason you can't love Kevin Garnett, and it doesn't look like there's any love in Minnesota for him to be a coach. And it doesn't look like things are going to work out in L.A. And you and I can talk about Blake Griffin in a minute because, once again, he's injured in the postseason. So we need to talk about that. But before we do, there should be a home for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett somewhere in this Celtics organization as they begin to move on. Because I know KG's kind of doing – I know he's doing the uh, Area 21 thing, but – but besides that, he's also done some mentoring, I guess, or he's done some consultative work, I guess, because he was working out with the Clippers. There's got to be a place in that Celtics organization for those two to, to show up and contribute to this next iteration. And what a way to kind of come full circle on that. Danny's willing to trade any star and said he was willing to the whole time gets all these picks and then brings them back on home. That would be a nice circular or th- it would be nice to see things come full circle like that. Oh, totally. I mean, that would, that would really be the way that would make it feel a whole lot better about it. I mean, again, you think to spring maybe both of them loose of the Doc Rivers coaching tree, Doc would have to leave, I think. Doc would have to leave the Clippers. It seems that there's some, I don't want to say closeness there, but there's definitely. Oh, they're definitely connected to Doc. They love Doc. Yes. Yeah. He's their guy. And I, you know, we get all that. Um, He's going back, back to network television next year, though. That's where that's gone. Well. Well, let's, we can discuss that when we get to Blake in a second. Yeah. I, I, but, but in terms of KG, I mean, there's got to be a room for him here. And I, and I love the fact that, you know, there's that connection there. And the more that we can create that connection with KG and, and this current group of Celtics, that's a benefit. That's a plus. I mean, look, tonight's game, you know, you know, game four, when that issue hit with, with, with smart and, and, you know, Jimmy Butler, 
And that started to go awry. And after that, you know, obviously we had the bucket there and then, and then Cannon had the three. And that's what really kind of started the Bulls run. You had to worry about that a bit because I was, I was really at a point where, you know, and we've talked about this a lot this year. The Celtics have not responded well to adversity. Things go wrong and then they start to panic and leads vanish and, or they're up by too much. The lead vanishes, you know, somebody gets in somebody's face. It doesn't go well. I had hoped that they had turned a corner there. They haven't. They're still young. A guy like KG was the one who kind of, in his era, that wasn't an issue. They would take situations like that and turn them to the positive. This team hasn't been able to do that. And the more involvement a guy like he could have with this roster of players, it has to help. And if it's in a coaching role, if it's in a consultation role, I'll take whoever he can get. Because that guy being around your team is a positive no matter how you can draw it up. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's a motivational, he's an, he could, he would be an in-house motivational speaker That's and right. get it done. And absolutely. I know, and I know we want to talk about Blake and Doc. I have to squeeze in one other topic, which is Isaiah Thomas and the technicals. He's had three called on him in this series. The first one was rescinded and the game four one with Michael, Car- uh, Michael Carter Williams was a hundred percent wrong. He did not make contact with MCW. Yeah. The foreheads bumped, and it was not Isaiah initiating the contact. What is going on with throwing? The, I mean, I know he got a bunch during this, the year, and we talked about that. Like he might get suspended right towards the end of the season if he got any more. And he's he's not up there necessarily with Demarcus Cousins, but he's a lot closer than you'd think. And you get a clean slate going into the postseason. Now there's three. It's down to two. Hopefully they'll rescind this third one. But what the hell? Well, I I think I think it's you know you wear that chip in your shoulder. It's you you it's your you reputation. Run a, yep. You you run a fine edge where like if you don't play that way all the time. You can't play that way when you need to play that way and play that way the right way. And so it's, it's the balance, right? Like there's just no way. He's, look, he, I don't, it doesn't bother me so much. What bothers me is the fact that he got called for that technical tonight. I, I mean, the fact that he's got two technicals where it's clearly not his, shouldn't have been. That's like, you know, maybe we should stop getting so easy with calling technicals and everything. I, I'm just, the performance by the referees in the last four games has not been great. Either side, no matter what you want to say, Fred Hoiberg is is full of it. But but it, it has not been great. The goaltendings, the I mean, goaltendings in game three where you know they, they missed a clear goaltending call. I mean, what the heck's going on? Like, look, it hasn't turned a series yet. It hasn't turned this series or turned a game in this series yet. But. It's going to at some point, and you just gotta hope and pray that it helps in the Celtics' favor, not the Bulls, because there's so much to chance. I can't rely upon what we're gonna get from the officials night tonight. That's a scary thing. It, it is. The, the officiating and, as you know, we've talked about during the season, but the lengthy reviews drive me bananas, you know, and part of the reason we have to have lengthy reviews is because the officiating isn't sound. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it yeah. would, you know, really whatever you got to do, you got to button it up a little bit. They've let 
especially in game four, they let it be a very physical game. And I'm all for that, and I enjoy it. But if you're going to let it be a physical game, you can't call ticky-tack fouls. If it, right. if you, you can't take – it's sort of like talking out of both sides of your mouth, but for basketball officiating. You can't say, oh, well, I'm going to do this and then do another thing. They are not in alignment. You can't have an aggressive physical game and then call ticky-tack phantom fouls. you got to let the game ride. And – the only time in a game that's officiated to be very physical that you interject yourself is when people are getting heated. So you keep them cool. And I thought one thing, and Grandy and Max were talking about this during the radio broadcast, one of the nice things that they did, I think, after the Marcus Smart flare-up was to pull Hoiberg and Brad Stevens together and explain the situation and, and how it all went down and sort of try to corral them to get their troops together and say, you know, basically I'm sure part of that conversation was this is how the game's going to go if this continues. So that was a good aspect of it, but then we have the ticky-tacks. you really got to take a stance. You're going to call a tight game. You're going to call it early so everybody knows, and then they play to that way. And then everybody knows all bets are off in the final two to five minutes, maybe six minutes. And that's the way – there's a script there, and people plan around it. And so you have to be consistent, and that's the real issue from the officials. Yeah, yeah. That's the consistency – and and there is an issue of missing obvious calls. That's why I'm not so upset about the the Butler stuff because I felt like I felt like they called him fairly consistently all the way through. Some of them I thought were a little bit superstar calls, but if he's getting them and Isaiah's getting them, it balances out. And you know, other calls that Isaiah didn't get, yeah, there are, but it's hard to tell sometimes because he's so small and he does sell the, sell the, uh, the motion as it were. It's hard to tell sometimes what is and what isn't a foul with him. But as long as, as those two are on balance in terms of who's gaining the line and there was that stretch there at the end of the, near the end of the third where he was gaining the line on, on the regular, uh, you know, look, it balances out to me. Um, but I think the Celtics need to do a better job of not fouling. And, you know, whether it's, whether it's Jay, whether it's, uh, you know, Bradley, whether it's smart, those guys are going to be smarter about getting up in the air when they know all that Butler wants to do is, is do just that, get them up in the air and, and shoot from underneath them and go into them. That's, that's what he's, that's what he's yeah, going to do. It's how smart. he has great points. Yeah. Yep. Just play smart. Stay all right. Home. So. You look out west, maybe just a little eye on what's happening out there, but uh, Houston takes a 3-1 lead over Oklahoma City, who actually I thought might tie it up. Golden State up 3 nothing over Portland, um, and then you have uh, the Clippers and Utah. The Clippers taking Game 3, and then as we record this, they're in the midst of Game 4. Gordon Hayward not able to play. I know we've already talked about Hayward on this show, not able to play because of food poisoning, which is pretty unfortunate. And then the Grizzlies in one heck of a game on Saturday against the Spurs, stealing one, Mike Conley just going off, and that performance almost being completely overshadowed by Kawhi Leonard's final few minutes and really just took over the game. 
However, I think the biggest thing that we're looking at is Clippers and Utah because that series features two players that we've talked about and had our eyes on for possible um, free agent acquisitions, and we've already discussed Hayward, but Blake Griffin also now injured and uh, is not going to be able to play in the rest of the postseason. This is the second year in a row that that's happened while also suffering a regular season injury. You and I went back and forth on Twitter. We'll close the show on this topic, but I am pretty f- – I love Blake and his game, but I am real nervous about bringing in a player, no matter – even though the fact that Blake is still very young, very nervous about bringing in a player – who is going to struggle to stay healthy because if you can't have them on the floor in the postseason, you're really running the risk of, of spending money poorly and getting no results for it. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, I look, he's an MVP candidate when he's healthy. I mean, he was, he was legitimate top five MVP. Candidate I'm with you two or three years ago. Okay. He rebounds the ball, though less so. Than he used to. Uh, he has extended out to three point range. He's an unbelievable passer. Um, he can score in the post a little bit now. Um, and let's say that you're at, let's say Hayward is not an option. And you could get him for short years, but max money. Would you do it? Yeah, I wouldn't I give you four years. But but I, well, here's the thing: you're not going to. The, the hypothetical is not realistic. The hypothetical is realistic. You think it's he would go for realistic. short? You think he would go for short money on a max contract? If it's not there, if it's not, if he doesn't have, nah, the somebody's going to pay him, dude. Somebody's going to pay. Him. Are they? Yes. For for a, a, a look at look at the glut of big men right now. Look at what Abaka got. What they got for Abaka, and 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 that's and that was that was considered a high price. They got Terrence Ross and a late first rounder for Abaka. That I mean, that's not a big prize. I mean, I think I think that the 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 money's dried up, and I think that I mean, you look at the teams that have cap space, they're not going to be looking for necessarily for Blake Griffin types. Now you may see a trade. It could be that someone trades for him, but I don't know. I mean, man, I I think it's going to be a tighter market than you thought. I mean, Kevin O'Connor wrote a really good article on the Ringer on Friday. I, I think everyone should really check out. Kind of laid out the case. I mean, I think Kevin's being, you know, he's kind of throwing some theories out there and and not really. He's kind of circling around it, but he's thinking, you know, maybe it's not so crazy. And I and I kind of agree with him. I think that there may be a market a market that's not as big for for Dwight Howard <laughs> for Blake Griffin. Dwight oh, Howard, my. what an interesting. But this Freudian is there's slip, and not Freudian, but there's an interesting there's, yeah. there's an interesting yep. oozing from your subconscious there. There is no, it's true. I mean, because there's there's a lot of like questions about this guy and what he would do to the culture and and all that, but. Yeah, you could see the fit there. I, I think. I think the fit's there. Um, Less but, questions than Demarcus Cousins, and there are plenty sure. of people that sure. wish they we had Demarcus Cousins patrolling the paint and posting up in this uh, in this series right now. But it goes back to the fundamental question: 
that, that you you and I have been kicking around for the last 12 months, or, or really since Horford was signed. Who, how do you play a big man next to him? Who is the ideal big man next to him? And I, and we both agree, in an ideal world, Crowder plays power forward in a small ball crunch time lineup, and you're able to have another small forward who can also rebound a bit, fill that role. And we saw that, particularly in the first, first half, for the first quarter in particular, uh, with Joe Green. But sustainably over a long period of time, that's not going to work. So yes, ideally, you go with a guy like Gordon Hayward. But if he's not available, you've got the cap space. Do you, do you throw the money at, at a guy like Blake Griffin and have maybe Jay play more of a traditional small forward position? I'm still fine with that. I, I'm definitely still fine with that. You know what? If you told me that the short money could line up with when contracts like Isaiah's and you know, that, that year, I think Isaiah, Smart, and Bradley are all up at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, but that's two years from now. So that, that would mean you'd be signing Blake to a one, a one and one, which isn't worth it. Yeah, you'd probably not get him for a one and one. He's not going to do that. So what's He's your, so your idea of short money is a four instead of a six year? Maybe three and one, maybe three with a, with a player option for the fourth year or maybe two and one, you know, maybe that's how you get there. I, I, I just, yeah. You know, so but let me ask you this: Do you want to go in that lineup with him on short money, or would you rather have Hayward for long money? I'd rather have Hayward. Hayward, okay. Hayward's the number one guy for me. I think Hayward is is the ideal right now in terms of he's the missing piece. He's a missing piece for, that's going to drive a lot of people insane who don't understand what the Celtics are trying to do. But here's the problem: this goes back to the first thing I was just saying. You need to have another big. You need to be able to play Horford or power forward sometimes because it's clear Amir Johnson's days are over, you know, or at well, least in that, that role. They'll role. get that in the draft. I See, I don't think his days yeah, but, are over at all. I think that's just a wrinkle in the first-round series, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be permanent if they make it to the second round. Right? Maybe not, but they've got to have – they've got to be able to play against teams that are like – you know, Chicago when Taj was there or, or play against, um, you know, Memphis with, with Zebo and yeah. Gasol. They but barring the trade, they're going to have to address it with somebody too. like Aiton in the 2018 draft is how they do that, yeah. right? Yeah, but or, or they consolidate some later. picks, right? You, you can't compete now and later and you can't, you know what I mean? They've got to have, they've got to, they're going to lose big men this summer, right? They're going to lose Zeller. They're going to lose probably Jarebko, and they're going to probably lose Amir. And they, those guys might re-sign for minimum salaries. They Maybe might lose Olenek, too. They might lose Olenek, too, right? So whoever you sign has got to be good enough to be able to play next to Horford at times or sit on the bench. You, are, you already know what you're getting. You know? It's it's Yavaselli and Zizic. But you're not going to rely upon them, just like you're not going to rely upon you know Jalen Brown. That's no, the, you're going to rely on the smart on the small lineup. That's how they're going to roll. And you know, barring free agent acquisition or packaging some of these guys and trading, right? Like you just said, they still need somebody in that role. But if they sign Hayward or they sign Griffin, it's still not solving the problem. Like you said, sometimes Horford's going to have to play power forward, and you're going to need more of a, a center type. The only the the only place they're getting that barring Barring a trade with these assets 
is is Zizic. Really, that's a problem, and that's it, a it's totally today. a problem. I it's agree. A big problem. I mean, they have they I, have I, big I man problems next year. Absolutely. I, I I love the idea of saying that Zizic could be a guy who could play in, in minutes and and compete, but you know, to any large degree, would you trust you know a rookie right now? Forget about like. You know who the player is. Would you want a rookie in the position of playing next to you know trying to keep uh, Robin Lopez off the boards? I mean, I'm, I'm, that scares me to death. You know, here's, I, here's what I'll say to that: They need if, to have a if you're guy. signing Griffin or you're signing Hayward, and both of those guys are healthy, mm-hmm. then it's an upgrade over what we have this year, regardless. At, even with Zizit and. And your lineups are going to be smaller featuring Horford at the five, and you're not solving the issue. But if you're asking me, am I comfortable with Zizic moving into the Amir Johnson role with no free agent signing? No, absolutely not. However, that also leaves the money open for them to fill those holes, whether they choose to bring Amir and Zeller or Kelly Olenek back or none of them, and they explore you know, other middle of the line free agents and, and and to solve that then maybe that's a possibility but if you're getting a max free agent then you're likely looking at Zizic as being a situational guy where they typically are going to be running a smaller lineup and Horford's going to be playing the five in the starting lineup period the end and then Zizic comes <laughs> in when you're struggling <laughs> Period. The end. Whether you like it or not, Al. Is the yeah, thing you left out of that. That's but, it, but they, really it, it, fully insinuated and implied correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I listen. I, it's clear that having a man of his skill at the five position changes things a lot. I mean, and he's bold... getting rebounds, dude. He's getting the rebounds. That's the biggest thing. Eleven did. rebounds. He did. He, yeah. Not so much in one and two, but but definitely tonight. Or he wasn't at the five in one and two. He was playing alongside yeah, Amir Johnson. At times. No, Amir, yeah, I mean, think Amir about the lineup. Just think pass. about the lineup. Let's pretend that you're basically upgrading Gerald Green with Gordon Hayward. And then look at the last two games and what, you know, Horford's done. And look no, at I, So my point is he's a five. He's a five. The way that this roster is constructed, yeah, he is. He no, can I play the four and shoot the three if they bring somebody in. But he, the way that this works, he's better at the five. But but the the problem is to me that the team needs to be flexible enough to play against multiple lineups. They need to be able to play against Chicago's. They need to be able to play against you know Golden State's group of death. They need to be able to do both of those things. And part and of they the problem, are if they're not trading away all these young pieces. But it's always going to be situational. You know, Jalen's going to have a nice stretch. Zizic is going to play in matchups like the Bulls issue, right? When they when Hoiberg goes not, big and we're but getting beat, you can't do that though. Like you can't look who's playing right now and filling that role—a thirty-year-old shooting guard who played in Europe two years ago. Like you can't rely on Jalen Brown and Zizic to be in those roles. You need to have veterans to fill those roles. I mean, in I would love to say that you could you could rely on those guys a year yep. from now. I don't know if you can, but I, I'm not saying I can rely on them. I'm just saying that the expectations are lower than trying to fill Amir Johnson. I mean, this 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 argument is yeah, the yeah, same yeah. argument yeah. we're going to have until Danny finally makes the trade, right? Until Danny finally takes these pieces and does something with them, that is the argument. Are you comfortable relying on rookies? No, nobody is. 
but it may be the option right now. So that's how they'll deal with it. And if you get Gordon Hayward, the team is still better next year than they were this year because regardless of the lineup they're rolling out, Hayward is an upgrade over Green. And Zizic can come in situationally. And given the fact that Amir Johnson, I know his stats are there, but the, just the eye test says no. that he checks in oh. and out during certain stretches of the year. So how is that different than having Zizic fill in situationally? He's going to have some good games, going to have some bad games. How is that different than what we've been getting from Amir Johnson? So if you're upgrading Gerald Green in this postseason lineup with a with a Hayward, the team is better. And you're still watching young guys get better. And then ultimately, they're either going to make a trade or there's not one, going to be one available. They're going to have difficult decisions on who to resign of their young core. But ultimately, those guys that they find to be keepers that they pay will become the players that, you know, we're trying to trade for today. But it's a prior, but what I guess, yes, all those things are true. But but it's a priority, is what I'm saying. It's it's not as if this is you know the orthodoxy of well this is the way Brad plays and and the players just need to play those roles and it will work better. There's no Draymond Green on this team in playing small. There's no space eating, uh, you know, five man who's who or four man who plays five. There's there's nobody who's going to gobble up those rebounds in that same way in this unit. And so because of that, what ends up happening is they don't have that ability to defend in the same way that Golden State Warriors can. They're more ferocious on the perimeter because of those guards and their capabilities. But when it comes to the paint, they're they're much more of a pussycat. And that's... That's where um that's my concern is that they need to be able to throw a lot of different things. I think that makes Brad a better coach, and it needs to be a higher priority for the team as they enter next year. Like you said, Zeller is probably gone, Amir is probably gone, Jarebko is probably gone, maybe a Linux gone. I mean, there's going to be new new faces in these and, places, and so if, who and, and how if, and how much and how, right. how big a priority is it? But the, but the point is it will all be situational because if they sign a max free agent, the only way to address your concern is through trade. That's right. And there is no big man available in free agent that solves your problem. There may not be – there may not be one who's signed for big money. <laughs> that, that we could, that but we the could minute be, you sign you know a max I mean? free, yeah, I no, I, I if we don't get the max free agent, we can solve your problem, right? Yeah, because right. there'll be that's money, and they they could even look at an Abaca and somebody else. You know, there'll be yeah, enough money to to do two players, right? Or but maybe three. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I don't want Abaca either. I'm with right. you. But my point is, is if they get the free agent, they can't solve your issue without a trade, and the goal is a max free agent. If they don't get a max free agent, they'll solve your problem, but they won't solve Isaiah's problem. So it's multifaceted. So you either let the players grow older with the young guys that you have or and you accept certain limitations and you get a max free agent or you don't get a max free agent and you plug some holes and you continue to work and hope that, you know, basically uh, whoever you draft this year, which would be Fultz, which is a possibility that he takes a lot of that load off of Isaiah, but then you still have the youth problem. Or you hope that Jalen Brown becomes 
a much more efficient scorer and shooter and shooting guard style player over the off season and comes out in his sophomore campaign and, and takes a little bit of a leap in preparation for a year three monster leap. But you know, all of those, all of those things just have to play out based on one domino and we have to wrap the show because we're out of time, but one domino <laughs> and the domino is going to be, can they get a max free agent this off season? And right now, the only two cast of characters we're looking at is Blake and Hayward. And both of us agree it should be Hayward. So maybe the answer to your question is, no, you don't sign Blake because you may, you may, uh, you may want to save some of that money. You, you may want to, and we'll have to explore that some more. I guess it depends on the length of the contract. I think that's exact. That's I think I agree with that. I think but the Blake is is the the contract, and then the part two is in terms of the trade. You know how much of a player do you give up? We already know that even to sign those players, there's going to have to be some some wiggling around with with major roster players. Avery Bradley probably being chief among them could, could be smart. Could be others. This core is going to change, even if they just want to sign Hayward. To do so, they need. To, they also need to address the the bigger problem, which is they need they need big men who can defend and and fight. And uh, we'll, we'll see. Right now, we're still in the seventeen season. Big big but men. The season's awfully intriguing. Yeah, it is. And big men who can you know rebound and fight without pulling somebody's arm out of their socket, like Kelly Olynyk almost did again in the first round this year. But that's going to do it. We'll leave that teaser on the table maybe for next week. We'll see if they'll be – we'll see how this team plays out. the series we, is over. Yeah, the series <laughs> may be over by the next time you hear from us, which would be nice because uh, in my estimation that means that the Celtics take it and we can begin looking at uh, a round two series. But I don't want to look ahead yet. Wednesday's game, don't forget CLNS Radio's post-game coverage – toll-free call-in line show after every single game. Check out clnsradio.com for all the details or stay uh, close attuned to our Twitter pages. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You could support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give a rating and a review because your show, uh, your feedback is extremely important to us. And a reminder, tonight's show brought to you by SeatGeek and Blue Apron. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire CLNS Radio Network. Big thanks to the loyal audience who makes it all worthwhile, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.